What is up, Calvary Church? Good to see you. Glad that you are here with us today on our campus. Glad for all of you that are joining with us online. And uh, we are into a series called One Thing. Say that together with me. Ready? One Thing. Is everything going on okay back here? I just want to make sure. I felt like things were collapsing around me, and I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, you know, going to be part of some fatal accident. Uh, but uh, anyways, I appreciate, you know, the praise team has to wake up awfully early, so we give them a little grace, right? Um, but uh, thank you for uh, jumping in with us here today. One thing, one thing, one thing. Uh, I mentioned to you last week, my mom asked me, well, how many one things are there in Scripture, right? I mean, if it's one thing, shouldn't it be one thing? Well, there are numerous times in God's Word where the phrase one thing is used. And the reason that we're looking at these is because this one thing is to point us towards Jesus. It's pointing us towards Jesus. It's giving us a focus. The author of Hebrews said it best, right? Hebrews chapter 12, where he talks about a great cloud of witnesses that are around us. Therefore, he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Which means that Jesus begins it, he starts us on that journey, and Jesus ends it. He's the one who's going to give us this place that we cannot even begin to fathom, imagine, or dream about in heaven. But isn't it interesting that in the middle, there's some stuff for us to do. And a lot of it we are finding is based on these phrases, one thing. This one thing helps us to prioritize our lives, helps us to give us some parameters, some guardrails even. Whether it's in the Old Testament, the New Testament, whether it's something that's spoken by Paul in Scripture, the psalmist David, or whether even the words of Jesus himself. One thing we need to give priority to, one thing will give us some practical aspects of living for Jesus and giving priority to him. And so that's where we're at in this series, pointing us all towards knowing God better. Knowing God better. Because that's what it's about with him. It is about relationship. You say, man, Billy, you say that a lot. That's because I really think it is one of the most important aspects of our Christianity that we have to get across. It is not about religion. It's about relationship. There's nothing wrong with religion. There's some good things with religion. But who did Jesus have the most difficulty with? The religious leaders, the religious people. And too often times we get wrapped up in what we do and forget about it's what has been done. And his desire is for us to continue to grow in our relationship with him. It's all about knowing God. So first week we talked about the psalmist David. David and knowing God was all about our worship. That one thing that David talked about was first of all something that God had said. And of course when God says one thing, as humans we understand, you got to break this up a little bit in, under, in order to understand it. And so we found out Come on now, help me out. God is what? God is, oh, so close. God is, there we go. And then God is, yeah. First he's great, and then he's good. And there's just, there's a whole lot of theology based in that statement right there. If you could just grab a hold of that, that God is great and God is good. But if all we had was God's greatness, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? We need his goodness because we are messed up. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And in His goodness, the greatness of God sent His Son. 
to pay for our sins so that we could know his presence in our lives. And that then is what David reiterates in the Psalms, that because God is great and God is good, this one thing I've heard from him, my one thing is to be in his presence all the time. And then last week we talked about Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. And Mary was all about the worship. But Martha was all about the work and the worry. And what we talked about last week was knowing God was, was giving him the heart of our service. Nothing wrong with what Martha was doing, right? She was doing some good stuff. But man, if all we do is that good and we are not allowing ourselves to soak in what God has for us, we are not going to be able to live out our lives to his glory, to his good, to the best of our ability. It is out of the overflow of our lives that we give. It is out of the overflow of God. What, what, what did John say? John said we love him because he first loved us. It's out of the overflow of God's love that we love others. Jesus said, love God with everything you have. Show it by loving other people like you love yourself. It's out of the overflow of our joy that we are able to live in joy and express and share joy with others. Jesus said, I want my joy to be in you so that your joy may be overflowing. Do you look around Christianity right now and think, we got that one. Whew. We actually, Jesus, if you could actually remove just a little bit of the joy from your people because, oh man, we are blowing the world away with our joyful countenance. No, we, we need so much of Jesus' joy because that's what gives us hope. It, wouldn't it be so much easier if Jesus had just said, I want my anger to be in you and then your anger can overflow. We'd be like, I'm there, I'm ready. No, my joy, we... We look at the fruits of the Spirit. His Spirit lives in us, and He wants us to bear fruit. What is that? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What are we doing? We're living out of the overflow. Living out of the overflow. Today, we're going to talk about another passage of Scripture, and it's going to be in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Say, Mark 10. All right, that's where I want you to go today. Mark chapter 10. If you're online... Please follow along with us. Click on a tab there to follow along and, or get your Bible out. But man, I'd love for you to join with us as we look at the story from Mark chapter 10. And today we're going to talk about an unknown man. An unknown man. My wife earlier this week, I don't even know what we were watching or what she, uh, what, why, why it came to her mind, but she said, do you remember the unknown comic? <laughs> and in my stupidity, of course, I went to YouTube and <laughs> looked up the unknown comic. Okay, for those of you who's, you know, Life was so meaningless when you were a child that you actually watched the gong show, uh, or make me laugh, and they had this guy called the Unknown Comic, all right, and he would come out with a bag on his head, all right, you thought this was just Detroit Lions fans, no, no, this was actually a comedian, and he'd come out with a bag on his head, you know, and, and he just too old, he could see in his mouth and everything, and he'd just share these jokes, and he was called the Unknown Comic, and he was actually kind of funny and had his 15 minutes of fame. Well, we don't know if the guy we're talking about today was a comic or if he was funny or not. All we know is he's unknown. A lot of speculation as to who he might be. There's some who feel like maybe he is named later in scripture. But in this story and in others in the gospel where this story is mentioned, there is no name. All we know is this. He's young. 
It's mentioned in another part of the Gospels. He's wealthy. That's mentioned in both stories. And he's a ruler. So he's young, he's got some power, and he's got some money. Is there anything more dangerous <laughs> than youth, power, and money? <clears throat> and he's got it. He, he's got it all. And, and we find that he is the main person in this story and interaction with Jesus. So Mark chapter 10, and uh, let's start looking, if we could, at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way... A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So let, let me give you a little bit of backstory on where we're at. Jesus has been in Judea, but he is on his way to Jerusalem. He's had an encounter, even in this chapter. He's had some discussion with the religious leaders of his day, as he seemingly always did, had a discussion with them, and he's also had some encounter, exactly the opposite of the religious old leaders of his day. He's had an encounter with children. He's talked with some kids. He's, he's talked about the priority that kids have in his kingdom. And now he's getting ready to take off out of town and head to Jerusalem. And a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. We know that a couple of things, again, from the culture in which we are talking about. We, we know from an earlier gospel that he's wealthy. We know that he's a ruler. And in that day and age, the wealthy didn't run. It's one of the things about the prodigal son that that father, that wealthy father, runs out to meet his son. Jesus knew when he shared that with those in the audience, that was going to mean something because the wealthy didn't run. But this young man runs out to meet Jesus. And the Bible says that he fell on his knees. Again, he's young, he's powerful, he's got some wealth, but yet he runs out he doesn't care what the others feel at this point in time. He feels like, I am missing out on my chance to have an encounter with Jesus. He's taken off. I don't know when I'll see him again. He runs after Jesus, and he falls on his knees. Now, again, out of respect, and this wasn't shared in the book of Mark, but many times when you knelt in front of someone, especially a teacher or religious leader, you would grab onto their knees. 
Again, a show of respect. So imagine this young man running out. And you could tell that he's doing well by what he has on. And he gets on his knees and he grabs a hold of Jesus' knees. The first word, if you're taking notes, that I want you to write down today is the word respect. Say that with me. Ready? Respect. Respect. This young man shows and shares respect for Jesus, for who he is, for what he believes about him. There is an attitude of respect. Some of you might argue that that is missing in today's culture. That, that seems to be something that we are lacking. And, and this guy could have demanded respect from others, but he has respect for this one that he runs after. But then he asks a really enlightening and important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? While the first word is respect, the second word that I want you to write down is realization. Realization. That's a big word. That's a long word. All right, say that together with me. Ready? Realization. There is a realization on the part of this young man that there is more to life than just this life. There's more to this world than just this world. And he believes that it is possible that the one who holds eternity in his hands, he has actually grasped the knees of to ask what must I do to inherit eternal life? He has an understanding of something beyond. <clears throat> in Ecclesiastes, excuse me, It was still loud, even though I turned the mic off, wasn't it? In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the writer of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. Solomon is a king. Solomon is the one who is maybe the wisest man of all time. And the reason he is that is because God gave him a chance to make one request of him before he took over as king. And Solomon, while he could have asked for anything, wealth, riches, a growing kingdom, victory, he asked for wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. Now, he didn't necessarily always use it to the best of his ability, but Proverbs is a book that was written much by Solomon. And there's so much wisdom in that book. When you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, you have Solomon on the downside of life, all right? He, he is moving now through the final season of his days, and he's, as I mentioned, been through some stuff. He hasn't always done things according to God's plan. He hasn't always lived out the wisdom that he had. And he gets into Ecclesiastes, and it's interesting what he shares in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. 
Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I like looking at different translations of God's word and the the good news translation puts it like this. He has set the right time for everything. He has given us a desire to know the future but never gives us the satisfaction of fully understanding what he does. (laughs) I think most of you, after having lived this past week and seen what we have seen, you'd agree with that statement. Most of you in your personal lives, having lived the past year and a half, you would be honest enough to say, yeah, I I cannot really understand how God works all the time. I don't understand what he's doing. But Solomon said he has set in our hearts that there is something beyond. There's something more. And it, it took Solomon a while to get to that point. But this young man already seems to have gotten there. He knows that even though he's still got a lot of years left, there is something beyond where I'm at because God put that into the heart of every person. That there is an eternity. So Jesus asks him a question. Why do you call me good? Only God can be called good. There's no argument from the man. He's not going to argue that point. You see, Jesus, he understands how close the man is getting to understanding who he is dealing with. So then Jesus takes it to the next level, as he always did, right? He always took it right to the heart of the issue. So he says... You know the commandments. Then he mentioned some of them. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your mom and dad. And the young man says, I have done that since I was a boy. If you're writing down notes, if you're taking them at home, write down the word religion. Religion. You see, the man has an understanding of God. But he doesn't know the power. He has an understanding of religion. But he hasn't yet developed the relationship. He's asking the right questions. And he, could you ask a better person? I mean, he's asking the right person, right? He's right there in front of Jesus. Here's the problem. He's looking for affirmation. He's looking for affirmation. You ever have a conversation with somebody and and they ask you a question, but they have talked to you for five minutes leading up to the question, and you know what the answer is that they're looking for you to give. Now you can give another answer, But then you're talking about another five minutes worth of conversation. You're like, you know what? I think it's just best for me to agree with him. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you. They're looking for affirmation. That's what's going on with this young man. I've done all that. I've been a good guy. I'm there. 
And he is just looking for Jesus to confirm that it's what you have done that will get you to eternal life. But Jesus can't do that because Jesus knows that he is on his way to Jerusalem where it will be what he does that will give us eternal life, not what we've done. And the reason that is so awesome is because if we were to put into balance the good and the bad, the bad would far outweigh it. Why? Go all the way back to our discussion about David. This is what I've learned. God is great, and in God's greatness there is holiness, and he cannot accept our sin. So that even if you are just one of the most perfect people that has ever lived, if you have sinned once, it's as if you've sinned a million times. God cannot accept that imperfection. There had to be a sacrifice. And so he said, I'll send my son. I'll give my son. And Jesus is on his way to do what we never could. And it is what Jesus will do that will give access to eternal life, not what this young man has done. He's so close. He's so close. I think it's interesting that when Jesus talks to him about the commandments, he mentions the back half. Do you notice that? The commandments that he talks about are the commandments that have to do with how this young man relates to humanity on a horizontal level. It relates to those relationships. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal, honor your father and your mother. And the guy says, I'm there. I've done all that stuff that people can see. He never deals with the commandments that have to do with God. Because, because Jesus knows how this guy's going to have to answer, doesn't he? And then it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. One thing you lack. One thing you are missing. Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. There, there, was, there was an expression on his face that completely changed. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Some of you know about that, don't you? You've experienced that yourself. Or, or maybe you've been in the hospital waiting room and you've seen the surgeon as he comes out and they call the name of the family or a person. And then the doctor goes over to talk to that person. And they're so, you're, you're so anticipating that doctor coming out, right? I mean, there's a level of, oh, good, it's over. But then the doctor says those words and you can see the expression on the person's face change. 
And the Gospel of Mark says that's exactly how it was with this guy. He came with such expectation. He came with such anticipation. But then the answer he got was not what he was looking for, and his face fell. His expression completely changed, and he walks away sad because he had great wealth. Write down this word, required. Can you say that with me? Required. One thing you lack, one thing that's required of you, go sell what you have and follow me. Verse 24, if you keep reading in Mark chapter 10, it's interesting because the man walks away and now it's just the disciples and Jesus. And it says the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, to them now, right? The young man's gone, so now he's talking to his disciples. He says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who can be saved then? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible. What's going on in this passage? The young man has left dejected. Why? Because Jesus finally gets to the heart of the matter. He says, there's one thing you lack. What's that? The first commandment. Don't put any God's before me. And Jesus knew the God of this young man's life was what he had. Isn't it interesting? I mean, he's got a bunch of followers around him. Did he tell Peter, Peter, go and sell your business and then come follow me? Nope. John, you and James, go sell the family. Nope. Matthew, put a for sale sign up here. Sell everything you have. No. Why? Because Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. What did he say to Peter? Peter, let's stop fishing for a while. <laughs> Where was Peter's heart? Where was his priority? Fishing. Did he make Peter quit fishing? No. You get all the way to John chapter 20, and there's Peter out fishing again. But he said, your priority will be to fish for people. Matthew, let's stop collecting taxes. What are we going to do? You're going to follow me. But let's start at your house with a party so I can talk to some of your friends, so I can share with them the difference that I can make in their lives. He gets to the heart of the matter, doesn't he? He gets to the heart of the matter with each person. It was a priority, and he says, Young man, this is what you need to do. Sell everything you have. Why? Was he saying that to all of us? No. He was saying it to him because that's his God. That was his idol. But then he explains a little bit more to his disciples. He shares a little bit more with his disciples because they're like amazed at what he said. Why? Because at this juncture of their time with Jesus, 
they still think that he is going to bring down the armies of heaven and defeat the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom on this earth. And he's going to need some young, wealthy cats like this dude to help make it happen. Why are you sending this guy away? We need some money for all the weapons of mass destruction that we're going to need to pull down on the Romans. Why are you sending this guy away? And Jesus says, and isn't it interesting? Sometimes it's best to have the Greek, a little bit of Hebrew. Sometimes just read God's word for what it is. Jesus says, it's easier for a camel, hold that thought, to fit through the eye of a needle, hold that thought. And what are you thinking? Impossible, right? Camel's never going to fit through the eye of a needle. So then the disciples are like, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus says, I know it sounds impossible, but with God, with God, trust me, guys, with God, all things are possible. I know you don't understand what I'm heading towards. I know you don't understand how this is going to end. You're not going to get this till after actually it's all over. But trust me when I say what looks impossible is possible with God. And just, just so we understand, because a lot of you can sit out there today and you'd be like, well, he's talking to the rich. Easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get through to heaven. Well, that ain't me. I ain't rich. Can I tell you something? If you're a married couple here today and you make $50,000 together as a married couple, you are wealthier than 95.1% of the rest of the world. Any chance Jesus was talking to you? Yeah. Yeah, we, we look from our vantage point, not that wealthy, but we are. We are so rich, so wealthy. God has been so good. And the question becomes what is required of us? What's required of us? Next week, we're taking a special offering. It's called the Big Give. It's been a number of summers that we have taken this special end of summer offering. And there are a number of reasons why we do it. Number one, we think it's biblical. Old Testament, New Testament talks about tithes that are done on a weekly basis, but then it also talks about special offerings that are taken. And they did it in the Old Testament and they did it in the New Testament. And to be honest, we probably follow more of the Old Testament in regards to our offering taken than that of the New Testament because the New Testament, that does not fit in with our culture. <laughs> that would not fit with where we are because the New Testament, they're like, you know what? I think I'll just sell it all. They took Jesus at his word. Well, that's not where we're at. But we do have these special occasions where we give something special. We believe it's biblical. We also believe that God blesses those who give. 
I do believe that his word is specific, Old Testament and new again, Jesus himself. He talks about the fact that you cannot cast something on the water that it will not come back to you even more so than what you cast out there. But can I give you another reason today as we kind of begin to wind this message down? Let me give you one more reason why we take an offering. You ready for this? We can. We can. You're like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, we live in America. The church is free to take offerings. You're the pastor. If you decide we take an offering, no, 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 no. <laughs> Wrong perspective. We can afford it. We can. Why did Jesus ask that rich young ruler to sell everything that he could sell? Because he could. He could. The Bible says that Jesus loved him. You catch that phrase in there? Now, Jesus loved everybody, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But there was something about this guy. And I think that when we read that phrase, Jesus loved him, you got to imagine this young man on his knees, right? I mean, he's in his best Calvin Klein robe and everything. I mean, he's got it all going on, and he's, he's knelt down at Jesus. He's still grabbed a hold of Jesus' knees. Jesus loved him. Can you imagine Jesus just kind of reaching his, his hand down and placing it on his head? Jesus loved this guy. He loved his potential. He loved the drive. He loved the fact that he came running out. He loved his respect. He loved the question. He loved him. And Jesus knew that this guy, if he sold everything that he had, there was just something going on about this dude. He'd get it all back. Jesus wasn't going to let him go without. He was just looking for what he could Peter, are you willing to give up fishing for a while to, to make a difference? Matthew, are you willing to walk away from an easy buck or two to follow me and change the world? Young man, there's just one thing you lack. Make me your priority. Why do we take an offering? Because we can. Because we can. I was talking earlier this week with someone in regards to the situation in our country. Well, why do we have to be the ones who give this and do this and take care of these people and send this? Because we can. <laughs> because we can. Good, bad, and different. This nation has been blessed by God. And, and there's a requirement from that, isn't there? So, so why, why, why do we take opportunity to give back? Because we can. 
There's a requirement. Do I believe that God blesses his children? Yeah. Do I believe it when Jesus said, look, you fathers, you're earthly fathers, you're evil, but you know how to give good gifts. Imagine the gifts that your heavenly father wants to give to his children. Yeah, I believe that. Do I believe it when Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that you can't imagine the things that God has in store for those who have put their faith and trust in him, that he is a God who is able to do far more than what you can even imagine or dream of? Yeah, I believe that. I believe that about our God. I believe that about our relationship with him. But I also have to believe that Jesus said, I'd like for you to take up your cross and follow me. And there are some requirements for serving God. And the reason that Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get to heaven is because in the comfortability of our lives, we don't need God. So then a 9-11 comes, and everybody turns to God. Check out your history and see the church attendance in the United States the Sunday after December 7th, 1941. Everybody came to church. Just like the Wednesday night after 9-11. Standing room only crowd at Calvary Baptist Church. Everybody needed to pray that Wednesday night. But then time goes by and life gets back to normal. We're good. So then we get a virus. And nobody has really all the answers. And what's going on? And man, they're taking away my rights and my freedoms. And everybody clamors back for, we need God. Hundreds of people online. But then, time goes by, eh, you know what? We're okay. We don't need God. And the more comfortable we are, do we make the mistaken do we have a mistaken thought process that somehow, ah, we're good. We're good. I don't need God. And God comes to you, and he doesn't say to you, sell everything you have and follow me. No, he just says, where's your priority? Can, can you ratchet me up a little bit? Can you move me to my prominent place? Because here's the deal, I am God whether you admit it or not. So why not be in a position where we are in relationship with the one who is in control? We don't have control. Doesn't take much for us to figure that out, does it? But isn't it awesome that we can know the one who does? And so he, he asks, he says, what's my priority? Can I, can I just share with you a few things? First of all, it's in prior, it is in priority. You got to prioritize and then you got to put it into practice. You got to prioritize and you got to put it into practice. Jesus knew that for this young man, you can do this. But I, I, I know that Jesus knew he wouldn't. There had to be some hurt because Jesus knew that was going to be his reaction. you got to put it into practice. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Mankind, 
He has told each of you what is good and what the Lord requires of you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. What does he require? What does he require? Because we can, can I share with you just a couple things? Actually, I wrote something down. I went and got another statistic because I wanted to share this with you. From 2019 to 2021, there's been a 45% increase in weekly giving to Calvary. I'll try that one more time. Thank you. Thanks, thanks for coming today, Sharon. My wife said amen. I'm going to try it one more time. <clears throat> Since 2019, there's been a 45% increase in weekly giving at Calvary. Thank you. Since 2019, because we can, Calvary has given 242% more in missions in two years. 242% increase. Why? Because we can. Because we can. To whom much is given. Oh, my mother loved saying this when we were kids. But it's true. And it's in God's word. To whom much is given, much is required. That's why Jesus said to this young guy, I want you to do what you can. We do what we can do. It's been quite a week. From an earthquake that rocks Haiti. And if you know anything about Haiti, right, you'd be like, seriously? Another earthquake? And it's not like, you know, I mean, you're not naive enough to say, well, uh, then people shouldn't live in Haiti. They should just move out. Yeah, they can't. You know that. Ten years ago, they had a terrible earthquake, killed hundreds of thousands of people. This past week, they have another one. In between, they had a hurricane. What in the world? You still got all this stuff going on with the virus. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever your views. However you want. If you think it's all political, that's fine. All I know is when you're trying to lead a church through it, it's a mess. Because you can guarantee this. You'll never please 100% of the people all the time. You'll please some people here. You'll please some people there. You're never going to please everybody, no matter what you say, no matter how you deal with it. Give up. It's not, you're, you're, it's just, and it's like, come on, man. I mean, it just seems like it's ready to make its exit. And then it's like, God, what are you doing? And then, then, you've seen the images. I mean, people hanging on to the, wheelbases of planes so desperate to get out of a country? Do me a favor, okay? And I, I, I won't... I'll say this calmly. Just don't talk to me for a few weeks about the persecution of the church in the United States. I, I don't want to hear it. 
You want to talk about persecution? Be a born-again believer in Afghanistan. And, and here's the thing. There's thousands of them. Thousands. Thousands. And they are ready to give their lives. Can you imagine if that's what's required of them? Now here's the deal. If I were to ask you, I would like for all of you, if you are willing to give your life for the cause of Christ, stand right now. You'd all stand. I will die for Jesus. We'd all stand. But can we, be, can we just be honest for a minute? The chances of you having to do that are about that big. You're not going to have to die for the cause of Christ. So what's required of us? Live for him. There's going to be some who in the next few weeks, they are going to die for the name of Jesus Christ. There's a better than average chance that won't be us. But where he has placed us, his requirement is to live. And I don't know about you, but if you see the news, you know, you see all these images, there, there have to be times when you're like, man, I w what can I do? I want to do more. But we kind of feel like we can't. We can. Let me give you three quick things and we're done. Number one, pray. <laughs> pray, 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 pray. I guarantee you, you have talked more politically in regards to Afghanistan in the past week than you have talked to your heavenly father. Talk to God. God, you know what's going on there. We got people from our country there. They need to get out, help them. Bless our military. Keep them safe. Keep them protected. And Lord, for the people that are following you, who have put their faith and trust in you, for churches that have been established there in these past 20 years, God, do something miraculous. Pray for the people in the situation in Afghanistan. Don't lessen the priority or the power of prayer by not doing it. First thing we can do. Second thing is we can share. You know that oftentimes when these, whether it's the earthquake in Haiti or whether, it's, whether it was back to 9-11 or the, the situation uh, in, in Afghanistan, many times there are opportunities that come, especially in our country, where now they'll have a special on TV, they'll put it on the news, they'll have a concert, and there'll be even a special number. Just text this and you can share, you can give, you can make a difference. Man, as God enables you, as you are able to do that, as you feel led to do that, share. Share in what you can do. Disaster relief from the SBC is already on its way. Samaritan's Purse already on its way to Haiti. There are Send Relief has missions. Uh, uh, the International Mission Board has missions going on in Afghanistan. And when we give as a church, we help support and make a difference in those. And here's the last thing. Ready? Do what you can where you're at. We love to talk about how, man, I wish I could help those people in Afghanistan, and we won't help the guy across the street. Right? Boy, if, 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 I'll tell you what, if I had the opportunity, I would, you've got an opportunity with the people that are in your neighborhood, 
that you talk to when you take a walk around the block, that you work with, that you see in school? Can we stop talking about what a difference we'd love to make a world away if we're not willing to do what's required of us? And why would we do it? Because we can. We can. God has blessed us for a reason. And we can make a difference. Now, if, if God has somehow spoken to you during the midst of this message and you feel led to go sell all of your possessions and give it to the church, then you've, you've missed the mark. Talk to me after the service, but you've missed, you've missed the mark on this one. With each person that Jesus came in contact with, it was always something different, wasn't it? He wanted them to do what they could, and then, wait for it, he would do what they could not. He would do what they could not. And I don't know what that is for all of you, for all of you. For many, it's something different. But just asking, God, what are you looking at for me? Because if you will respond, then he will meet you and do so much more than you could ever imagine. What is required of me? I hope that we'll find ourselves answering, asking that question today. Bow your heads together with me in prayer. Father, so many situations in our world that we have no control over. And if we're honest, we have no understanding of. But Lord, in those moments, may we rest in the realization that we can have an understanding of you that we can put our faith and our trust in you. We don't have your perspective. You mention it in your word that your thoughts, not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways. And God, in the end, that's really good news. But there are those times when we just have a hard time wrapping our head and our heart around it. Lord, in those situations, may we find ourselves at the very least in prayer for people who love you, for people who are in harm's way, for people who are suffering. May we find ourselves, Lord, asking for your protection, for your grace, for your miraculous healing of their land, of their people. But Lord, may we also find ourselves realizing that you have some requirements of us. And if we would just do what we 
can. You will come alongside to multiply that, to bless that, to use that, whatever the gift, whatever the resource, whatever the time, whatever the finance, you will use it. You will make much of it. May we give it to you. And before I close this prayer, maybe you're here this morning and there's never been that moment when you have said yes to Jesus Christ, when you have invited him to come in and be your Lord and Savior. And he'll do that for you today. He'll come into your heart. He'll forgive your sin. He'll make you a new person. If there's never been that moment in your life where you've prayed and accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to give you that chance. And I would encourage you just to repeat this prayer in your heart after me. You don't need to say it out loud. He'll hear you. But just say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me, for coming, dying, rising again for me. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin and save me. I make you the Lord of my life. With our heads still bowed in prayer, if you're here with us on our campus and you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand and put it down and say, yeah, that's me today, Billy. I prayed that prayer and I invited Christ to come into my life. Yeah, God bless you. God bless you. Just slip it up and put it down. That's me today, Billy. If you're watching with us online, a button has come up on your screen that says, today I accepted Christ. Would you just hit that tab? Let us know the decision you made today. We may not know your name, but God does. And before this afternoon is over, we'll be praying for you. In fact, let me finish my prayer by praying for you right now. Father, for those today who have accepted you, we thank you for their decision. Lord, I ask that you do something tangible in their lives to help them realize the importance of the commitment they've made to you. I pray, Lord, that they would sense you in their heart, sense your spirit in their lives. May they know your forgiveness, your grace, your mercy. Do something this week, Lord, to help them realize that they have crossed over into a new walk of faith with you. And Lord, for the rest of us, May we live where you have placed us, giving you priority and doing what we can to make a difference. And for what you're going to do in and through us, we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.